Amen. Take your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I had the privilege of pastoring three people that were led to the Lord by Oswald J. Smith and uh, Pat and Madeline Patterson. And uh, Brother Patterson was in charge of all the downtown missions in Toronto. That was his ministry and uh, for Oswald Smith and uh, won a lot of souls to Christ. And he played the accordion and sang. He'd go down on a street corner, play an accordion and sing, and gather a group of people together and say, come on into the mission and we'll feed you and we'll preach to you tonight. And, and uh, just, just a great fellow. I never knew him before he had Alzheimer's. I wish I'd had. And both him and Madeline have gone to be with the Lord at this time. And then there's one more lady, Pauline Robert, and she will turn 100 in April, this coming April, if, she's, if the Lord tarries and she lives. You know, you know Pauline, she's 99 years old in a nursing home, but if she turns 100, she also came to Christ under Oswald Smith, and they were under the ministry of Paul Smith, his son. And uh, so we heard great, great stories about soul winning and missions campaigns, especially missions campaigns. They loved, loved, loved missions. And so, uh, well, I, I, sometimes I wish I, I could have that fervor if I, if I could take the message God has laid upon my heart today and have Oswald Smith preach it, and because uh, he could motivate people. That was his gift. And I, I don't know that we would have agreed on everything, but he could motivate people, and uh, he could really stir people's souls. He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at the last four verses of the chapter. Matthew chapter 9, and we'll look at the last four verses. Well, I want to make some comments before I do. The Lord Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, now follow me to the end of this thought before you start throwing stones at me, okay? During his earthly ministry, listen, never commanded anybody to build a church. Christ said, I will build my church. What he called people to do was to Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He called us to sow the seed. And he tells us in that parable that the seed is the word of God. He tells us to go and teach all nations. He tells us to make disciples. And so sometimes we have this idea. And I was at a church planting conference this week. And it's a noble idea. It is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. We understand that, that uh, in the next 10 years or so, they, they want to start 30 churches. Wonderful. Wonderful plan. Wonderful cause. Brother Rick Rust, one of our missionaries with Baptist Church Planning Ministry. Brother Brian Teeson, also with BMFP and Baptist Church. Great vision. Great ideas. But I come away burdened in another way. I came away burdened thinking, where are the church planters? It's a wonderful thing to have a vision and a burden. And, and don't get me wrong, one of their points is recruitment. How do we find people? How do, we, how do we invest in people? How do we get people on board with following the will of God for their lives and, and serving in this capacity? And so I, I'm not slighting that at all. I think it's a wonderful vision. But what God spoke to my heart on that day is, is how do we get the servants the passage of scripture that we'll read in a moment says simply the laborers are few. The harvest is ripe. It's ready. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers 
are few. And though Christ never called us to build a church, I believe 100% that we are living in the church age. God's local church is the plan for this age. In Acts chapter 8, we read about the church at Jerusalem. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 8 is the only time you'll see the word church in that entire passage. Now, the Bible says that the church at Jerusalem was persecuted. Saul had just been consenting unto Stephen's death. And now in Acts chapter 8, he's beginning to haul men and women off to prison and persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching Christ. They went and told others about Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word church again. You might get the idea that they went out and they started churches in other places, but that's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, later on, the Apostle Paul would go through those different places, and one that is mentioned in Acts chapter 8 is Damascus, Syria, and Paul would go to Damascus, and the Bible says he found disciples, not churches. He found disciples. As a matter of fact, Paul found them in the synagogues. He was there in the synagogues and he would, as his right as a Pharisee, he would take the scriptures and he would open up the word of God and he would teach them about Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 19, we see that, that some of those believers in the synagogue were starting to get opposition. So Paul pulled them out and started an assembly and taught them separately. Even then, I don't know that it was a complete church. It was an assembly that was gathering together and they were learning the word of God. And so if you want to call it a church, wonderful. But later he would send Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and others would stay behind. And they would organize into a church. It was a formative time. But they would grow into what we know today as the local church having pastors and deacons, elders and such. That was God's plan. Sometimes we look at the book of Acts and we read between the lines and say, well, those believers, they went out and planted church after church. Not really. But what they did do is they were faithful in telling people about Jesus. They were faithful in soul winning. They were faithful in preaching the gospel everywhere they went. And friends, we, we sometimes get caught up with the glamour. And, and I'll say this, and, and, and I think it's true. If we wanted as Bethel Baptist Church to start a church and pick a town, you say, well, we need a church in Delhi. We could very easily go to Delhi this afternoon. We could find some sort of hall, whether it's a Lions Club or whatever it might be. I think if they said it's $2,000 a month rent, I think as a church, we have the resources where we could say, yes, we could handle that, $2,000 a month rent, and we would rent the building, and then we, could, we have the resources where we could purchase literature, and we could blanket the town with literature, we could purchase signage, we could put an ad in the paper, and we could say, there you go, we have a Baptist church in Delhi. But is it just going to be fruit on the vine that rots? Because the success of a church is not having a building and not having flashy literature and not having the right signage and not having a flashy ad in the newspaper. It comes down to people that are sold out for God, that are filled with the spirit of God and go forth in the power of God and reach people. We need more laborers. For me to stand here today and say to you, listen, we want to plant a church somewhere, and you're going to say, who's going to plant the church? Who's going to preach? Who's going to teach the children? Who's going to help with the young people? 
Who's going to be a deacon in that church? And we see in the book of Acts, Paul never traveled alone. And time after time, he took, uh, it would say Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas. But then you'll see when he leaves, he leaves a whole bunch of other. There's others involved in his entourage, if you will. They never believed in doing ministry alone. But that takes laborers. That takes servants. That takes surrender. So look with me in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And I, I preach a pointed message this morning about, and if God would let me, I'm going to preach another one this evening. And I'll, I'll kind of let you in on that. This morning I want to preach about God's burden and call for us. Tonight, I want to preach a little bit more about God's burden and call of how we need to reach the next generation. And I shared with the, the folks that were here on Wednesday night that I received a nice letter on Monday from a 93-year-old lady up in Ajax, Ontario. And she said she hadn't been feeling well the last couple of weeks, and so she didn't go to church. And she asked somebody, whether it was her son or daughter or whatever, would you look up on the internet and see if Bethel Baptist Church still has services? Her name was Mrs. Bowlby. She was married here in 1947, 73 years ago. She was saved here as a 14-year-old 79 years ago. And she wrote me a beautiful letter and said, I was just so thrilled to hear the hymns and to hear the preaching of God's word is still going on at Bethel Baptist Church in Simcoe. And she says, in my prayer, that it'll go on for generations to come. But friends, Mrs. Bowlby can only say that because a previous generation invested in this generation. That a previous generation said, we want the church to continue, and so we got to raise up our young people, and we got to teach them how to be Sunday school teachers, and we need men to be deacons. And friends, I'm asking you today, where is the next generation? Where are some young men that are here in this room today that are willing to stand up and say, I may not be there yet, but pastor, I, I want to commit myself and surrender myself that I might be a deacon and that I might be a Sunday school teacher. I want my kids to see their dad serving Jesus Christ and giving all he has. I may not have all the gifts and talents, but I want my kids to know that I'm surrendered. That I want Jesus to use me. And there's some ladies here today that could say the same I don't know what I can do, but I can help some ladies get in the baptism tank. I can, I can help in a Sunday school class. I can ride on a bus and sit with a kid that doesn't have a mom. I can pray with some younger kids. I can do something, but I want my family to know that I love Jesus and I want to serve him. The call of God is a general call. For most, it's a specific call for some, but I want to say today that every child of God has a call upon their life. And the only thing missing is our surrender. Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 35 And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. That means they had little strength and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. I want to point out, first of all, the concern 
of Christ, the concern. Jesus had a burden in his heart for these people. They were coming from all walks of life. They were coming from all backgrounds. Some of them were diseased. Some of them had problems in their body that physicians could not figure out. So they came to Jesus. Others were crippled and lame. Others were blind. Some could not hear. Some could not see. There are others that battled with demons. They were discouraged and depressed all the time. The dark one had taken a hold of their life and they did not know what to do. And so they came to Jesus. There are others that just sensed something missing in their lives. The religion of the Jews had become corrupt, had become a business, had become legalistic. And they were looking for grace, and Jesus preached a new and living way. And so they came. Let me illustrate it this way. A couple of years ago, it was, been, it was 2009, my wife and family, we went down to see Grandma and Grandpa for American Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving is a bigger deal than Christmas in the States. And we had never been down in all the years we had married at that time. And we said, let's go down. And we went to the American Thanksgiving. And you know what happens the day after Thanksgiving in the States? Black Friday. It's called black for a reason, let me tell you. It's, it's a horrible day. It's awful. And my wife and my brother-in-law's wife at the time, they said, we want to go Black Friday shopping. <laughs> never been. She's never been, I think. Elias' wife had been, I don't know. Let's go Black Friday shopping. Well, man, you know. Yes, dear, let's go Black Friday shopping. You know, that's what we have to do sometimes. Then they said, let's go at three in the morning. (laughs) Anyway, we went. And it was crazy. People fighting over things. And I mean, it it was fun to watch for me. I mean, it was better than a football game. I mean, they were tackling each other in the aisles, and they had to get that 99-cent pillow, and they had to get that, you know, whatever. It's just not worth it. I I remember doing that a couple times and finally saying, you know what? I don't need anything. I never did need anything that badly, but I don't need anything, so I'm not going shopping. You know, that's kind of how men are. If we don't need it, we don't, we don't do it. Ladies go to the store to find out what they need. We're just, we're just wired differently that way, right? We like, you know, but man, we just go. We, we know what we need. I'm, I'm enjoying this now. I, I, I bought a shirt for my daughter's wedding. I went online. I pressed the button, and I said, Emily, can you pick that up and bring it home with you? I didn't have to go in a store. It was awesome. The point I'm making is I, I don't go shopping unless I have a need, you may be wired differently than me. Most men are like that. We don't, unless we have a need, we don't go shopping. Do you know why these people came to Jesus? Because every one of them had a need. Every one of them. And the Lord Jesus Christ, all these needy people coming, and his heart broke. And he had compassion on them. Without insulting anybody today, can I, I believe it's likely that everybody in this room has some sort of need. You may not be suffering physically. You may not be suffering with demons like they were in the Bible. But there's something. 
Each one of us could say, I, I, could, I could pray more. I could draw closer to Jesus. I, I, I could spend more time in worshiping him. I could be more faithful to church. There's something I could do to encourage somebody. My friend John McConkie, their son Joel, is battling cancer. He's, he's uh, 10 years old. And he, it's never the same, but he has the same cancer that Casey had. Osteosarcoma on the leg, just like Casey had, exactly the same. And just, you know, um, and we praise the Lord how he's in his last treatments now. And I said to my wife the other day, I, I, I said, you know, I was looking, I looked at Twitter and I'd get updates on Joel. I'd see John would put an update, a picture and things. And I said, I picked up my phone. I thought I need to talk to John and see how, how things are going. And I picked up my phone and I looked at it. I hadn't talked to him since June. I said, we have got so used to getting our information from social media that we don't communicate anymore. So I wrote him a note three months later and said, hey, how you doing? We've been praying for you and been watching your updates, but really, we should be talking. We should communicate more. That little boy has a need. And my heart is burdened for him, but we've just stopped that communication, haven't we? Lord Jesus Christ, his heart went out in such a way that he wanted to reach out to each person. Do, are we burdened for people like that? Do we have the compassion that Christ had? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that you are predestinated to something. Do you know what it is? To be conformed to the image of the Son. The word conform we don't use these much anymore, but how many of you have ever used a jello mold? You ever made jello in a mold? Not mold that you get on your cheese in the fridge, but a mold. You pour that jello in there and it comes out in the shape. Maybe you have a cake pan. When our kids were little, we had like a, you know, a Mickey Mouse cake pan or something. You put something in there, it comes out looking like Mickey Mouse. That's what the word conform means. He wants us to look like Jesus. If we are to look like Jesus and act like Jesus, shouldn't we have the compassion of Jesus? Jesus had this concern for people. And uh, what, what do we see when we look around us? We often, we recognize the needs of, of our society and we complain about everything that's going on. But let me ask you this. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Do we have compassion? And then we see, first of all, his concern, but I want you to see the command of Christ. Here's what he says to do about it. Verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Picture what's going on. Jesus is standing and he's ministering to people. He's healing this fella and he's praying with this fella and he's helping this lady and healing blinded eyes and casting out demons. And then he pauses for a minute and he looks up. He says, wow, look at all the people, multitudes, it says. And his heart begins to break as he's moved with compassion. And he knows that for the next several hours, he'll just be ministering to people, person after person, and glad to do it. And he says to his disciples, the harvest, look. 
harvest is plenteous. But the labors are few. And here's his command. Pray. Pray ye therefore. The Lord of the harvest said he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The command of Christ is to pray. The word pray means to beg and to plead with God to bombard the throne of grace with the needs of mankind. In Ephesians chapter 6, we know the story of or the armor of faith that God gives us. In Ephesians chapter 6, he speaks about prayer. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. But listen to this. In the Spirit. In the Spirit. Jude tells us that we are to be praying always in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit and praying in the Holy Ghost. That's not, that's not just normal praying. That's not just dropping your napkin in a restaurant and when you go to pick it up, say, Lord, bless this meal, hoping nobody notices. Praying in the Spirit and praying in the Holy Ghost is, is getting your heart right with God. I think when I think about praying in the Spirit, I think of it in a twofold way. First of all, if we are going to be in the Spirit, we have to be clean and, and empty vessels ready to be filled by Him. We understand this as believers today. We understand the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that the day I got saved, Christ came and lived in me. I believe that. The Bible says that He sealed me under the day of redemption. That we have the earnest or the down payment through his spirit. In other words, that's just a sample of what is to come. The presence of God in our lives. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I also know the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. I have to understand that filling is a little bit different than indwelling. I always have his spirit and I always have his presence in my life and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. But how surrendered am I to him that he might take total control over my life? I know that first of all that comes through cleansing. The Bible says that in every house there are vessels of Gold and silver, some are made of wood and brass. But you'll notice in that passage, it's not about the composition, it's about the consecration. He says, I, I don't care if they're gold or silver, wood or brass. He says, I want them to be clean and empty. Are we sold out for God? Are we consecrated unto him? Are we willing to be clean? You say, well, why are my prayers answered? Are you praying in the spirit? Are you praying in the Holy Ghost? So I didn't come here for some charismatic message. Friend, it's not a charismatic message. It's a Bible message. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. And that tells me i got to be filled with His Spirit if I want to know my prayers are being answered. When I think about the Spirit as well, I think about this. If I'm going to pray in the Spirit, I can't be contrary to the Spirit. In other words, I have to listen to Him. I have to determine his will for my life and pray along with him. Romans chapter 8 says that the spirit searcheth our hearts for we know not how we ought to pray. And he maketh intercession to God for us. He prays on our behalf. Hey, the spirit's already searching your heart and he's already praying for you. Now you've got to figure out how to get on board with him and pray in the same direction. 
What is God's will for my life? Paul on the road to Damascus fell in the presence of Jesus. And he says, who art thou, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Do you know what the very next words out of Paul's mouth were? What would you have me to do? What is your will for my life? He says, get up and go to Damascus. There'll be a man there, Simon. He's going to take you to his house. Others are going to come and minister to thee. And do you know what he did? He got up and he went. He obeyed. But he was willing to surrender his life to God right there. We need to be willing to surrender in our prayer lives and and pray in the Spirit. Listen, with something so important as the souls of men on the line, we should be sure that our prayers are right. We have powerless prayers because we're not in the Spirit. I'm not so naive to think that we always bow our heads and close our eyes when we pray. There's been times where I've been on an icy road and I've been praying, but I kept my eyes open, Brother Rick. Amen? I remember one time praying with a guy and he lost his mind. I was with another preacher and the preacher said, why'd you quit praying? I said, I didn't quit praying. I just wanted to see what was coming at me. I'm not saying that we always have the same posture in our prayer, but we ought to have kneeling hearts. We ought to have spirit-filled lives. And we seek so desperately, say, Lord, we need that neighbor to be saved. How are we praying? I had this thought last night. We had some men praying together, and I thought after, you know, I don't know if we need more people praying or if we just need more people who know how to pray. That'd make a huge difference. Somebody said that every movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Somebody knows how to pray. How do we pray? Do we know how to pray? First, we must pray in the Spirit, be cleansed of our sin, and make sure. Listen, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, the first thing they did was forgive us our trespasses. Let's be clean. So you see his command is to pray. But notice his call. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. God wants to send. God wants to send. The Calvinist will say, God will you save whomever he chooses. But Jesus said, pray that God will send laborers to reach them. Which is it? I'll go with Jesus. Pray that he'll send I think sometimes we do that to a fault. Sometimes we get a burden in our heart. God, what, is, what can I do about my neighbor? They need to be saved. And we get a burden in our heart and we've talked to them across the fence for quite some time. And we, we don't know how to broker the conversation. And so we come to church on a Wednesday night. We raise our hands and say, Pastor, would you pray for so-and-so? And we go home and think, well, I've done my job. Or you might even say, well, let's send... Could somebody go over and see them, Pastor? Could somebody go share the gospel with them? Our favorite song is, Hear him, my Lord, send Paul. And that's what we do. Pastor Paul, would you go? But here's the thing. God pricks your heart. God burned you about that soul. 
I would dare say nobody can do a better job in telling them about Jesus than the one God burdened about them. He burdens you. Don't pass it off to somebody else. God is looking for people to send. But in order to send them, a couple things have to happen. Number one, we have to listen. We have to listen. How many times have we just blocked out the pleadings of God? You're probably like me, that when a missionary comes through and puts their pictures up, you know, sometimes I want to tell these missionaries, you, you got to quit doing this, because they put up the cutest little kids that look hungry. You ever notice that? you got these beautiful pictures that they took over in Africa or wherever they go, and, and those kids, just, their eyes just call to you. And, and, and how many of you just go, oh, I wish I could go do that. I wish I could go help that little kid. I wish I could take them the gospel. My question is for you right now, why not you? Well, you don't, you don't understand. I, I'm too old. You're too old to share the gospel? I'm not saying God's going to send you to Africa, but what about your neighbor? What about across the street? What about the ones that you are in your family? What about your coworkers? Well, I'm too young to do anything, are you? I was just, I, Brother Kevin Norris sent me a little video a couple months ago, and his grandson was in church, Jace. It was the cutest thing. He came to church that night, and he sat, and he listened to the preaching. And I don't remember if I was preaching or somebody else. I don't even remember. But the next morning, he's at the breakfast table, and he's telling his little sister, he's about six, and he's telling his little four-year-old sister, well, you've got to be saved. You got to come to God. He died for your sins. And he's passionate about, it. hey, a six year old can do it. So well, I, I, I don't know much about it. You knew enough to get saved. If you don't know enough about salvation to tell somebody else what happened, how are you even saved? How did you get saved if you don't understand it? Can you get saved without knowledge? If you know enough that Christ saved you, you can tell somebody that much. You can at least say, here's what he did for me. The call is to be sent. It's not send someone else. When we pray to the Lord of the harvest and we say, Lord, send forth laborers, you're a laborer. I don't believe it's for us to pass off the will of Christ. I believe it's for us to conform to the will of Christ. What can I do? So to be sent, we have to listen. But to be sent, we have to obey. There are some of you that very well know that God wants you to do something for him. That God has burdened your heart about someone. He has burdened your heart about a ministry. And you have repeatedly said no. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Are we willing to surrender? Are we willing to obey the call of the Lord? The Lord had a concern and a command to pray, but the call is to be sent. It's a call to go, to preach, to teach, to tell, 
to plant the seed of the gospel, to pray for laborers. But when you pray, and maybe this is why we don't, we're so afraid to pray for laborers because we're afraid he might call us. But where is the next generation? Where's the next deacon? Where's the man in here today that's going to say, I want, I want my kids to see me serving God? Where's the mom today that's going to say, I can help somebody, I can do something, I can surrender? Just, the, the name just popped into my head, Mary Lormer. Mary was one of the most unassuming ladies you'd ever know. I, I, you know, I didn't know her until she was 50. But she was an unassuming lady, very quiet, peaceable. But I can't number how many deacons went through her Sunday school class. How many notes I got in the last few weeks from preachers that said she was my Sunday school teacher. I heard about backyard Bible clubs. I heard about the Masker family getting saved through her backyard Bible clubs. I heard about the Judge family coming to church because of her daycare. I don't know how gifted Mary was. I never got to hear her teach. But I know she was surrendered. Maybe that could be you. Maybe that could be you. But we have to surrender. Whatever God wants. The lady that wrote me the letter on Monday, her name was Mrs. Bowlby. If anybody remembers that name, her husband's name was Bowlby. I don't know what her maiden name was. I would love to think that when I'm 93, I could write the same letter back to Bethel Baptist Church. Praise the Lord, we're still preaching the gospel, still seeing people saved. But can I tell you this? When it's 93, it's going to have to be the next generation doing it. We have to teach them. We have to train them. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I have much more, but we're going to stop right there. Brother Daniel is going to play the piano. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? He said, I don't know how to respond. Here's, here's what you can do. You can pray. You can pray. You can just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How can I train my, my kids? How can I be an example to other young men? How can I teach other young ladies?